But I want to just give you a little bit of a story so far, particularly if you have missed any of the sessions. Um, but it also helps orientate all of us as we move into Corinthians 3, that we're not suddenly seeing it as an isolated passage on its own, but we're seeing it's part of a much bigger flow of thought um, that Paul is sharing with the church in Corinth. So Paul opens his letter um, to the church in Corinth, reaffirming the grace that they have received. So right up front in Corinthians 1, um, you read this, this um, statement reaffirming that these are the people of God, saying you have received grace. And we see this coming uh, as we move through in different places. That you are the one, you've received the Spirit, you know the Spirit, you know God. There's a sense that these are brothers and sisters. Paul calls them brothers and sisters. Um, these are people he has gone, he's preached the gospel to, he's seen their hearts respond, uh, and he's seen God at work. And he says, God has done something in you. God has chosen you, he's pulled you out, and he's made you his. So there's a, a, an affirmation. Um, he then goes on to talk a little bit about worldly wisdom, which seems to be something that these guys have got caught up with in Corinth. Uh, and, and, and talks about how the gospel was never meant to compete with worldly wisdom. It, it's like we're playing a different game. We were just chatting before the, the meeting started about baseball, because Ian, for those of you who know Ian, is at baseball today, and we said it's just not cricket. Uh, they're two very different games, and if you turn up uh, waiting to open the, open the batting against uh, the latest baseball league player, who I couldn't even name one, I'm afraid... Um, uh, with your cricket bat and stumps and, and stood like this, you're probably not going to come off very well. It's playing a completely different game. And Paul is saying the gospel is playing a completely different game to the worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom is trying to puff itself up and explain things and make, uh, try to be more and more clever and more and more advanced and moving away from people. So it sets the bar higher and higher. You're going to strive more and more to obtain worldly wisdom. You'll never get there. And Paul says... That's not what the gospel is about. In fact, to those people who really get all of this worldly wisdom stuff and value this, the gospel is foolishness. They can never get it because they're living in a world up here playing baseball, whereas the gospel is playing cricket. And that's probably a fair... Uh, I'm happy for that to go on the records. <laughs> So, so Paul talks about the cross being a stumbling block for the Gentiles. But he says to, to the believers, it is the power of God. And he says it's the wisdom of God. We're not given a message of eloquence or clever argument. It seems that some of the challenges that the, the church were having here is that Apollos had come. And Apollos was a, a very eloquent speaker. And they were kind of beginning to say, oh, well, Apollos seems to have a real sense of wisdom, whereas Paul seems to be a bit more agricultural in the way he presents things. And, uh, and he's kind of saying, I, I, Apollos, maybe he's the true um, apostle, the one we should be following. Uh, and Paul's saying, no, no, you, you're trying to play the world's game with God's gifts, and it doesn't work. Um, so, so Paul says we are left with one argument, which is the defeated, um, uh, the defeated cross, defeated death that Jesus brings when he goes to Calvary. When he goes and he says, I'm going to throw the whole rules of the world out the window. I'm going to go. I'm going to be cursed on the cross. I'm going to take the sin of the world and I'm going to take the blame for everything that I haven't done. I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going to die willingly, and then I'm going to rise again. 
And suddenly all the rules that underpin everything else are broken. We're no longer playing the old game. A new game has come to town. And that's the game that we go into the world with. Nothing clever, nothing eloquent. The defeat of Christ on the cross is all we go with. So he builds on this message when he says that each of us have received the spirit of Christ. And he says that if we really want to enter to the new game, if we want to enter into this cross and all of its um, explosive uh, real wisdom, if we really want to enter that, the only way in is through the Spirit. And the Spirit will come and He will dwell in you. And just, just as the only thing that really knows who you are is your Spirit, only knows what's going on in your thoughts is your Spirit, actually the Spirit of Christ is the only one that really understands everything that's going on in this wonderful gospel of Christ. So if the, if the gospel is Christ on the cross, then the Spirit is the only one that can expose our hearts to it. And he says, you've received that Spirit. That Spirit has come to you and opened your eyes to the whole of this wonderful gospel. He brings the fullness of Christ with him. He teaches us, changes us, empowers us for life in the kingdom, the new game. So that acts as a setting for chapter 3, which we're going to go into now. Um, uh, and I think what we're going to find here is that Paul is almost, it's almost like he's just discovered an impossible people, a people that shouldn't exist. And we're going to see that as we look at this. It's a, I don't quite understand what's going on with you, yet I could probably let Paul into a little secret, which maybe he knows, is it's not quite so rare as he might think. So let's look and see what Paul saw in a church here in Corinth. As we read chapter 3. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. So neither he nor plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace given to me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. 
He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that you haven't left us in this world bereft in confusion. Lord, you haven't set us a, a challenge to understand the, the depths of complicated things. But Lord, you've revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus. And you bring Jesus to each of us by your spirit. And Lord, I pray that right now we would receive your spirit. Lord, let your spirit rest on hearts across this room. And as we look at truth, Lord, you would reveal it, not just to our minds, but to our hearts. Lord, let us not walk away unchanged. Amen. So, I said the impossible people. I guess if you wanted a fancy word, we could talk about a paradox that Paul has discovered. And this is the we could call that the fleshly Christian. Um, sometimes you'll hear it talked about as a carnal Christian um, that Paul has discovered here in, 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 in the church in Corinth. He talks about you, you are worldly, you're of the flesh. In, in different translations you'll see you're, you're carnal, so you're, you're kind of going back to your original um, broken state. You're living as if you're still broken in that world. Um, and if, if you flick to Romans chapter 8, we read a, another description of, of what it is to live in the flesh. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So Paul talks about what it is to live in the flesh and what it is to live in the spirit. And he kind of says some of the things you will do if you live in the flesh and some of the things you'll do if you live in the spirit. And he says if, if you live in the flesh, you cannot please God. You'll live according to your own sinful desire. It's death. Uh, your mind can't, um, can't change. But if, if, if you're living, you're governed by the spirit. If you are in the spirit, um, you'll see the opposite of that. You'll live a life of, um, of life and peace. Um, you'll have your mind set on the things that the Spirit desires. He's kind of saying these are the two descriptions of the two people. And it seems that what he's found in Corinth is a bit of a mix. He's found people who are in the Spirit, but they're still following their sinful desires. 
and they're still kind of just chasing after the things of this world. They haven't set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And he says it's a paradox. Now, some people will read this and say, you can have this third type of Christian, that it's possible, or second type of Christian. You can, you can either be of the flesh and an unbeliever, you do not yet know God. Um, and, and, and for those, there's the opportunity to, to come to know him. Or you can go to the other end and you can be, a, a, I, I've kind of received the spirit. I've got my mind set on the things of God. I'm all going for this. Or you can have this category in the middle that says, I have received the spirit, but I kind of still live in the old way. And this is a kind of a, an extra category. I don't think that's Paul's point here. And it's why he's so, he uses analogies that, that, that kind of underpin it. He's so, this, this doesn't make sense. You can't live in this space. This isn't the place for you. Uh, he talks about you're like a child or a, a baby. Um, and this isn't a, a particularly affectionate kind of term that he's using here. Sometimes you hear, oh, my dear children, um, this very kind of affectionate kind of style. He's saying, no, you, you're just a baby. Uh, and, and you, you kind of you're still drinking milk. You just turn into this fat baby. Um, that, but but there's nothing cute about you anymore because you're not a baby. And we love babies, don't we? I mean, <laughs> playing at the back there, they we look and they're lovely. But by the time you're forty, if you're still behaving like a baby, saying, "Yeah, I don't like this. I want more food. Oh, I don't like that food." If you're still going on like that, you're not going to have many friends. And this is what Paul is shooting at. <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Paul is looking and saying, you've got stuck as something that shouldn't exist. It's just uh, illogical, it doesn't make sense. You've not got this new game if you've stopped there. This wouldn't have gone down very well. These are uh, people who've come from a, 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 the kind of Greek world, uh, a kind of a pagan background. They would see themselves very advanced and enlightened, um, and everything about them was kind of, I'm going to be cleverer and cleverer, and, and it's the way you build status is about how much you've got up here. Paul walks in and says, no, you're just like a baby. You don't get anything. You've missed the whole point. It would have, been, it would have crushed their pride in that moment and to call them fleshly again they kind of feel that they move away from the flesh and as they become more and more enlightened they move into this spiritual realm and everything of the flesh this evil flesh kind of just goes past you have fleshly baby who doesn't understand anything he says we're gonna have to go right back to base principles on this paul's view is if this spirit lives in us then when we come to the cross, it changes us. You can't walk to the cross and walk away unchanged. And here's a challenge for us. It's why I say I don't think it's as rare uh, as perhaps the outrage would look. It's outrageous, but it's not rare. Because I actually think in all of our lives, we struggle with this. And, and we, kinda, we come and we meet. We meet with the cross and we're changed in that instant. And yet so often in our lives... It doesn't get lived out. It doesn't get actioned. And we don't fully change and walk away a different person. Um, and this, even as I was preparing this and putting it together, I recognised in myself and in our church and in our churches that we so often can be like the church in Corinth and think we've just got cleverer 
rather than we become changed. So I want to, to help us with this, just pick up um, some things, that I th- some areas where I think um, the Corinthian church struggled. And the first is very clear, they had a wrong view of leaders and their gifts. Now, in the pagan world that the, the, the Greeks would have been used to, um, they would have had philosophers that they would have followed and said, I'm of this philosopher, and I'm of this philosopher, and they'd have sat down for an evening around dinner, and they'd all debated why their philosopher was the one that everyone should follow, and why they're particularly clever for having chosen to follow that philosopher. It was a a way of working for them. And it seems that they brought this into the church, and they'd taken the gifts that God had given them, in the likes of Paul and Apollos and Cephas, uh, and, and they'd kind of started trying to reinterpret them in their old game and say well they're like a philosopher and I'm going to choose which one I follow I like Apollos I like Paul I like Cephas and then we're going to sit around and debate who's got the best one we play some kind of fantasy apostle uh, league or something um, around it Paul uh, right away through this letter is constantly dealing with this and he's saying we are not the clever philosophers We're not coming in with words of wisdom ourselves. Um, We're coming in to preach Christ crucified. It's all we've got, any of us. And if anyone comes in with anything different, so if someone does come in with something that sounds clever, if it's not that, it's not what the church is about. So don't go listening to foundations of of other things. They're, they're, They're not what this game is about. We see in the world constant tribalism. Um, it's it's the, the bane of, of the world, certainly at the moment and probably through history. Whether it's nations, uh, I'm, I'm with Iran, I'm with North Korea, I'm with America, I'm with the EU, I'm with whatever else. It's kind of, these are my things and I will tell you why. Whether it's football teams, whether it's gangs, whether it's political leaders or parties, with its cliques at school. Allegiance to a badge or a man is something that belongs in the world, not in the church. So whilst we may have opinions on all sorts of things, whether it's Brexit, whether it's Labour and the Conservatives, whether it's Boris and Jeremy Hunt, whether it's um, the, the US, whether it's the EU, the Middle East, we may have opinions on all of those things, but none of those things deserve our allegiance the only place of allegiance is christ crucified and if we're going to bring any wisdom to this world it's not going to be in clever words but it's going and preaching christ crucified the answer to the middle east is christ crucified the answer to our broken country is christ crucified to the gangs is christ crucified It might seem a foolish argument to bring with us. But it's the only one we've got. And it's the power of God for salvation. Tragically, we can see it happen in churches. Uh, Church has been dogged by denominationalism for a long, long while. I'm a Methodist, I'm a URC, I'm an Anglican, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic. Um, uh, And even for those of us who have seen this and then kind of said, well, we don't want to be caught up in a denomination, we almost end up creating our own denomination of non-denominationalism. And we kind of, well, yeah, we're this group that doesn't believe in that. And we kind of end up with our own badge that sits around us. 
Um, or, or, or perhaps we see ourselves as new frontiers, and that's our place, that's our badge that we kind of go with, or, or commission, or we can start cutting these things in all sorts of different ways. The fact is, if our allegiance is to anything other than Christ crucified, then it's a different game. We're playing a different game. We're not here to make New Frontiers great or Commission great. We're not here to make Terry Virgo or Guy Miller look wonderful. We're not here for the Archbishop of Canterbury. We're not here for any of those things. If all of those things fail, but the message of Christ crucified goes and, is, and the kingdom of Jesus is established, we've won the game. It's wonderful. So this is what we go for. It's why we do look at how we work with other churches in town um, and more broadly in the, in the wider area if we can because actually the game that we are playing isn't to make us great but it's to make him great and we can do that together in a different way. Now, here's the, the subtle thing that the guys here in Corinth had missed. In arguing about who was the greatest and who they gave their allegiance to, what they'd missed is that Paul, Apollos and Cephas were actually part of their inheritance. So it wasn't that they belonged to Paul, but actually Paul belonged to them. Paul was one who belonged to Christ first, and as Christ shares in his inheritance with all of us, we receive Paul we receive Apollos and Cephas. Uh, and indeed, today we genuinely receive Paul because he's uh, shared so much of us that we read in Scripture and we, we benefit from. They are gifts to us. Paul writes, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't say who, um, which would seem far more polite. And he's deliberately, he's being almost derogatory uh, when he says what, um, he's it, it, it kind of saying, what is Paul? What is Apollos? It's kind of, it's just a, that's, that's a bit part thing that's going on here. That's not what the thing is about. Um, it, it alludes to their function. So it's saying, what are they? Um, rather than kind of, who are they up here? Um, the fact they're great church planters or speakers or evangelists or whatever else it might be, doesn't make them important. In fact, the logic becomes the more gifted they become, the more they are to serve because they are uh, bringing more and more into the church for the church's benefit and ultimately for the kingdom of God's benefit. So they are there to serve more and more as they become more and more gifted. So we don't start prying them at the top of the pile and saying, I'm of that person. They kind of almost sink to the bottom and carry more and more of this thing and kind of we're bolstering, bringing the kingdom with us and God has given me a weight to bear here in the church that I will carry and I will bring people and I'll, I'll pull you along into the things of Christ, usher you in. I want you to imagine you've just had a letter from Buckingham Palace. The Queen has invited you to spend the day with her in Buckingham Palace. She wants to know your thoughts. Um, she wants to share with you some of her thinking about the country, where she sees things going, what's happening. Um, she wants you. She wants you in her courtroom, one-on-one. -on -one, you're just going to thrash the world together, work it all out. So you go to Buckingham Palace. 
You don't go through some side entrance. You arrive at the gates and the gates open. All the crowds are there as you kind of walk in and you walk through the gates, walk into the courtyard and, um, and there's a, a soldier with one of the bare skin and the rifles at his shoulder there and he comes up and meets you and he's just going to say, All right, welcome to Buckingham Palace. Um, I'll take you through to the Queen. Imagine, wow, that's a hat you've got there. Where does that hat come from? Can I feel your hat? Can I, can I have a little play? Oh, well, look at you, you've got a rifle as well. You suddenly kind of, time ticks by, you suddenly look at your watch, it's midday, and you're still saying, but, but no, I want to know some more. That red jacket you've got, that looks really special. Do you wear that all the time? Do you have more than one? Tell me about that. And you kind of look at your watch, suddenly five o'clock, and you kind of time has drifted by. You come to the end of the day, and you go, ah, oh, I probably need to go now. I've had my day. You spent the day with the servant at the door and you've missed your opportunity to spend with the queen. That's what these guys here had been doing. They've got so obsessed with Paul and Apollos, the soldier at the door, that they've missed their opportunity to meet with the ruler of the universe, the king of kings. So the wrong view of leaders a wrong view of gifting. Uh, I think the next thing we see is they had a wrong view of God. In making too much of the leaders, the Corinthians had made too little of God. They felt that the answer to life was to be found in a man and therefore believed that God was insufficient. If I'm really going to work things out, if I'm really going to sort myself out, I need to go to Paul or Apollos. God isn't enough for me in this I think if many of us were to be asked if we relied on God for our lives we'd say yes and and probably in the broadest sense of things those of us who are believers could could sit and say yeah no I, I, I do rely on God and yet as I thought about this I felt a challenge because I thought if I truly rely on God, if I know that God is the only way of, of seeing Christ crucified going to the world, if I thought it was the only way of seeing his kingdom established, I wonder what our midweek prayer meetings might look like. I wonder how many of us would be there. I wonder how many of us would be jumping in, eager to pray. I wonder what my an hour quiet times might look like I don't like the word quiet time because I don't have to be quiet but, um, but our times with God on our own would look like as I began to think of the different thing of the things that might look different if I truly relied on God I began to think do I really rely on God in the way that Paul is challenging here if he is the only way for all of this stuff, for me to find my place, for the kingdom of God to be established, if this is really the game I've entered into, then do I really believe it and let it change my life? And I, I felt there are areas where I just felt like I'm coming up short. I'm like the Corinthians here. I can see it. I can see that I've got too small a view of God. 
We become complacent in what we know and what we do. We become content with just drifting in and looking at the cross on a Sunday and then walking away unchanged in our lives. Paul, in this, this letter to the Corinthians, and it's quite rare, he uses this phrase, don't you know? In fact, I think he uses the phrase 10 times in, in rough content. You might see it translated slightly differently. He says, don't you know? And you won't see this anywhere. Well, you, you, I think there's one other place. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember exactly where it was. There's one other time this gets used in Scripture. But other than that, it's just here. And 10 times he says, don't you know? And, and I, I think what he's trying to get across in this is he's saying, here's the gospel and here's your life. The two don't match up. And he's presenting, almost slapping us around the face with the gospel and saying, there, that's what it is. Now look, where do I see that in your life? How does that match up? And, and there's this strong sense of, of Paul just trying to draw people and saying, no, 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 come on, this is, get in the game. Get in the game. If you're truly buried in God, then your life should look different. So the wrong view of God, um, which was exposed in their, their thinking and their ways of going about things. They had a wrong view of themselves. Paul uses two metaphors in this passage. Um, one he talks about a temple, and one he talks, uh, or a building, and one he talks about a field. Um, we're going to look at how, in terms of the building, we can extend that if we read elsewhere into the feeling of a temple. The Corinthians saw themselves as consumers or members of an audience. Um, and, and so when Paul or Apollos came on, they were there to perform in front of them and entertain um, the, the kind of church. And judging by how entertained they were, they would ascribe a certain amount of credit and, and glory to that uh, particular person. Paul is saying this, again, this is not what this is about. And what he does is he said, you've put someone on the stage in the place that I meant for you. You are the, the main event here. You're, you're, you're not the kind of uh, observer in the audience. You are there on the stage. You are acting this out. You are in the game. You're not waving flags at the palace gate. You're in there, in the courtroom, with the queen or the king. God was so keen to see you in the game, that what he did is he sent coaches. He sent people to help you grow, to help you develop your game, to get you stronger in certain areas. So he sends Paul and Apollos and Cephas, and he says, these guys will help you. They will make you stronger. They'll make you faster. They'll give you better hand-eye coordination. You'll be, you'll be better at this with these guys here. But they're there to serve you, to make you the very best. They're just servants that I've given skills to, to help. So we're in the game. I think what we need to recognise here, and Paul begins to extend into it, is the nature of that game. It's a building game. We're building something. We're building, and if you look at um, 1 Peter, you'll see that we're building a temple. We'll have a quick flick at that in a moment. But this building game... Things matter. So first of all, foundations matter. Um, and, and Paul is at pains to say, our foundations must be Christ. Anything else is, is not this game. 
So it's a non-negotiable. If we're laying foundations of anything other than Christ, then we've got something else. So what is our big end? Is it a, a big church? Is it a, a great worship experience on a Sunday? Is it great community action? Is it a great support network? Um, how do we judge whether a church is effective or not? Do we walk away from Sundays feeling, that oh, didn't feel me particularly kind of energised, I haven't walked away kind of full of life, ready to go at it so much. Um, it didn't kind of do anything for me this week. Is that, can we walk away from that or the vice versa of that? God, oh yeah, I feel really pumped today. That was a really good one. Um, Nikki really kind of got the right kind of feel in those songs and we're kind of pumped for this now. Is that how we can walk away? Because that's not the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church, did we come and did we proclaim Christ crucified to one another? Did we point people to the cross and say, look at our saviour, look at our risen Lord, look at our king of kings, he's our rescuer. Did we come and did we proclaim to one another Christ crucified? Foundations matter. Materials matter. Um, it, Paul talks about gold, silver and precious stones as opposed to wood, hay and straw. Some things about the materials we should be building with. They stand the test of time. The things that we are to build with are eternal. They don't just last for 20, 30 years. They will go on into the future. So the things of the kingdom, the things of this building game, are things like prayer. They're things like reading the word of God. They're things like preaching the gospel. They're, thing, they're things like, that include genuine gospel-infused action, where we are doing things because they are kingdom activities, which might be within our workplace, it might be in our neighbourhoods, in our schools, but it's about saying, no, I'm doing this to make Jesus known. I'm doing this to proclaim the glory of Jesus. And that lasts forever. It will be there in, 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 when we're all in the presence of God, when the whole world's been wrapped up and reformed, those things will remain and they'll just stand. Look, they pointed to God then and they point to God now. They still, uh, still are represented in the kingdom of heaven forever. They stand the test of time. They're precious. God is building a temple out of things that are precious to him. Um, and, and if you have a quick look at that passage in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual um, off, uh, a spiritual offering acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's building a, a temple, a place for God to reside out of precious living stones. Precious living stones that look like Sue Martyr, that look like Rob Ferns, that look like Nick Della. And he's saying, I'm building you. So the game that we're in is to take those stones and 
and as carefully as we can place them into the place where they are going to enjoy the rest of eternity hosting the King of Kings. He's building a temple around people. The first central stone is Christ himself. I've laid the stone of Christ and now around that I'm going to lay stones of one after another. So we don't build with programs. We don't build with property. These things aren't the thing. It's great that we've got the gospel hall or in the process of getting the gospel hall. Um, it's great that we do things uh, in terms of programs. We've done things like Alpha, we do Time for Tea, and um, all the, the kind of mother's group, which are picnic and play. Um, uh, we kind of got all of these things that, that we do, and they are good, but they're not the thing. The thing is people. They help us to reach people. So we go and we use those things to, uh, to, to draw people in to proclaim Christ crucified. Build them in. The next stone. The next stone. So the question is, what do you live for? Paul asked the question, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? It's almost as a taunt to point out that they've missed the point. They're playing the wrong game. The Corinthian people are looking for glory and human wisdom. They look for it in joining tribes associated with those sent to serve the church. But they have missed. They do not need to find glory. But glory has found them. They're out there searching for something that has found them already and wrapped them up. God is building each of us into a glorious temple. He's, turning, he's bringing us into glory and then he's placing us into a glorious temple, greater than the temple of Solomon that we read in the Old Testament, with all its gold and silver and precious stones um, that lasted for a period and then got torn down. He's building us into an eternal temple, far more beautiful, far more eternal. We'll be held up for all the nations to see all its wisdom of this world and the world that surrounds it will be shown one thing, the church of Christ, God's living place. And it will say, you missed the point. You were playing baseball all the time. He's chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. So what do you live for? What drives you? What, what makes you decide to do certain things? When you know you've got things wrong, and you followed your own way, what was it that was behind that? You go out and you steal something. Actually, you're saying that God wasn't sufficient to provide for your needs. You go out seeking wrong relationships, wrongs that you know are wrong. You just kind of not know that God, God's got, got you. God's got all the relationship you need. Dig deeper into him. But it's, there's so many things that we know that 
we fall into to traps. And they're traps that are basically built around things that we've missed in Christ. Where suddenly you think, I'm going to go off and play a different game. Our game is Christ crucified, preached to the nations for eternity. And that will last. And we will enjoy those things that we have all been engaged in forever. What a privilege. Let's just stand together. Lord Jesus, Lord, we, we, we can say it now as we look at your cross. Lord, you are our everything. Lord, the, we know that the game is that there is nothing outside of you. We can't find satisfaction. We can't find wisdom, the answers to life outside of you. And yet, Lord, you know that so many times we can walk away from the cross and, and kind of miss it again. Lord, I pray that right now you would meet us at the cross and you would, you would bring a new sense of glory to our lives. Lord, that we would know that we are those that are chosen. We would know that we stand on our own two feet before you because you have made us your children. You have called us out and said, you're mine. And Lord, that we would gain our status from that. We would gain all the acceptance we need from that. We would accept the goodness that we need to live life from that. Lord, that we would be thrown open to you. And Lord, call us up. Draw us into your game. Lord, I pray that we would be those that go and extend the kingdom in our generation. Lord Jesus, would you so move our hearts by the cross? Would you so move, your, move our hearts by what you achieved at Calvary? Lord, that we cannot be anything else. We cannot get caught in between these two worlds. But Lord, we are so caught up in you. We, we just give ourselves and throw ourselves upon your mission. Lord, call men and women, young men, young women into your kingdom right now. Lord Jesus, call us into your game now. Lord Jesus, Spirit, just come. Reveal Christ to us now. Just reveal Christ crucified once more to our hearts. And Lord, let us not go away unchanged. Thank you, Jesus.